Wonderful. So yes, this morning we're starting our new series in the Psalms, Summer in the Psalms. And how, how good can it get? The summer in the Psalms. In Hebrew, the Psalms is called Tehillim, which literally means songs of praise, songs of praise. And, and the Psalms is just an amazing, rich resource, slap bang in the middle of your Bibles. It took over a thousand years to write. It, it's got more chapters than any other book in the Bible. It's the most quoted Old Testament book by the New Testament writers. It is an incredible resource. It's epic, is, is how I'd like to describe it. In fact, it's not just one book. It's five books that have been gathered, compiled over the years. And if you look in your Psalms, you'll see that you've got book one, and then it's got a little collection of Psalms there. But each one of these 150 beautiful, powerful awe-inspiring songs are there to really help us to connect with God. You know, within this, there are songs of love, songs of praise, songs of thanksgiving, songs of awe and wonder. But as Joe was saying, they're, they're very real. There's also songs of lament, songs of anger, songs of frustration, songs of repentance. And that's why I'm so excited that we're going to be diving into this. And I don't know if you're like me, but I find Psalms very easy to dip in and out of. It's just because there's something for everyone. It sounds like a marketing play, isn't it? Something for every occasion. Uh, but that's really what Psalms is like. There is something that will resonate with you, whatever stage of life you are at. But my hope is throughout this series that we, we don't approach this like a pick and mix selection, but actually we see it for what it is, a, a toolbox, a valuable resource. It will give us tools to help us in our worship, to help us in our own personal times of prayer, to help us relate to God, to help us relate to God. One fourth century writer once said that the rest of the Bible basically speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Because the Psalms give us a language to help us communicate, to help us worship, to help us express what we're feeling to God. You know, it's wonderful, isn't it? God is totally deserving of all our worship and all our praise. And he even gives us a whole book to help us worship him by. He provides everything for us. The thing is, Psalms don't just help us express our emotions. But they go a lot deeper than that. You see, when we take hold of the truths that are poured out in here, when we meditate on them, as Joe was talking about, growing in that sense of meditation, personal, private meditation, then they, just, they don't just help us express our emotions. Our, our, our emotions actually get shaped and molded and changed by the truth that's contained in here. And really that's what I, I want us to look more at throughout this series, that actually true worship of God challenges us. It changes us. It molds and shapes us and ultimately frees us. Because each one of us has been created to be a worshiper. Every single person on the planet is a worshiper. It's just that most of the time we tend to worship the wrong things. 
And the Psalms help us get our focus onto the right things, onto the sovereign Lord, onto the one who is all-powerful, onto the one who is able, who is above everything, who has the world at his feet, who has overcome the world. And my prayer is as we go through these God songs together, that we will grow in our own personal worship, but also that we will be able to help one another as, as we worship through the difficult seasons and challenges of life. So we're going to start with, very radically, Psalm 1. We're going to start at the beginning. Um, don't worry, we're not going to go through every single psalm, okay? Uh, it will probably take us, who's good at maths, 150, it'll probably take us well into 2018. But no, we're not. We're just going to, we're basically going to pick eight themes. As I said, the psalms can be a little bit pick and mix. You can tend to pick your favourite psalms, the feel-good psalms. Oh, I like Psalm 23. I, but, but actually what I want us to do throughout this series is not just pick the feel-good ones, not just pick our favourites, but actually pick ones that will help equip us to use this wonderful resource perhaps more effectively. So we're not going to look at the usual ones. Maybe we will, some of them. But we're going to hopefully cover a whole gamut of the emotions and of the truths that are contained in the psalm. So let's start. Psalm 1, look at that. Blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The title of this morning is simply Contrast. Contrast, And here we see the psalmist, it's most likely David, although he's not credited with this one, contrasting two different types of people. And just as an aside, when you're reading through the Bible, do look for these kind of styles of writing. Comparing and contrasting is one of them. Repetition is another one. Pay attention as you see and think, why, why are we... Because they're there to, to make a point. So do look out for these literary styles, patterns, as we go through the Psalms particularly. So here we have a comparing and contrasting between the man or woman who delights in God's word. When it says the law of the Lord, it's basically the Torah. It's basically God's word. And contrasting that with the person who delights in wickedness. And then he simply comments on the results. There's two different paths here. There's two different, two different choices Those who delight in God's word, those who delight in wickedness. And I don't know about you, it's a bit of a weird psalm, really. It doesn't follow the usual pattern of the rest of the psalms, which tend to be poems and and songs. It's, It's more like a proverb. It's more like a reflection, an observation. So what is it doing in psalms? Well, I think, really, it's there, smack at the beginning, to act as a gateway. To act as a gateway into the rest of the Psalms. Basically, it's saying that if you want to develop and become a deeper worshipper of God, then it all starts with this. Delight yourself 
in the word of God. This is where worship starts. Worship is always a response to the revelation of God. God has revealed himself to us in his word. Worship, true worship starts by delighting yourself in God's word. Because that's where truth comes. The words we've been singing this morning, it's all scripture. It's so powerful, isn't it? When we sing and grab hold of the truth, it changes our perspective. I think the times where I have struggled to worship, I was reflecting on this 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 week. There's basically two reasons why I, I can struggle in my worship. The first one is if my circumstances or I've allowed my circumstances to appear bigger than my God. Then I find worship a struggle. The second kind of reason or, or way I, f- I struggle in my worship is if my affections or my focus has gone on to something else other than God. I'm distracted. I'm, I'm focused more on something else. That has got my attention. Times like that, I struggle in my worship. And I don't think I'm the only one, but I get very easily swayed. I get very easily influenced by different circumstances. Maybe it's relationship issues. Whatever it is, I get swayed by emotions. We all do. We come in on a Sunday morning. We can be on a high or on a low. That can affect our worship if we allow it. And so really, I want to kick off the Psalms with a question. What will you allow to influence you? What is influencing you even this morning? Is it the things of this world, challenges, stuff that you're facing or is it the truth that's contained in God's word what are you allowing to influence you because as we read in this psalm there is a massive contrast a huge contrast depending on that choice and it is a choice it is a choice that we proactively make and right the way through the psalms we see the the psalmists making that choice and a great example if you flick over to psalm psalm 13 This is a a psalm of David. David wrote 73 of the psalms. You know, prolific songwriter. Amazing. But Psalm 13, he starts off by saying, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? This is what we love about the psalms, isn't it? They're so honest. He doesn't try and cover up his struggles. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will my enemy triumph over me? He is, this is what Lee was talking about last Sunday. Christianity is not pretending that everything's fine. Everything's rosy. It's not putting on your everything is awesome mask. If anyone's seen the Lego movie. I've got that, so you've got that song in your heads now, haven't you? Please don't sing it. It's not about putting on your everything is awesome mask. It's about being real about our struggles. But here's the choice. At the same time, choosing to acknowledge that God is still with us, that he is still for us, and that he will bring us through. And we see that in this psalm. We read on. David makes that choice. By the time you get to verse 5, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. You see that choice there. And it's that choice that turns our, will you forget me forever, God? Into, I will sing because you have been good to me. Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote the message, started off by 
translating the Psalms into kind of contemporary English. He goes so far to say this, worship is not about expressing a feeling, but rather a conscious act that develops feelings towards God. As I said, when we immerse ourselves in the word of God, our perspectives change. When we immerse ourselves in his presence, when we meditate, as Joe was talking about, walking about wherever we can get the time just to dive into this, then we get changed. Our perspective changes. Our circumstances don't change. They just seem a little bit smaller compared with our God who is greater. You know, we we start to read about his authority, his power, his love. You can get so down when you turn on the news, can't you? What is going on? Yeah, but my God is greater. My God is able. His authority is total. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of God. And on this law, he meditates on it day and night. If you want to delight in the word of God, first of all, you've got to pick it up and read it. You've got to pick it up and read it. And maybe for some of you this morning, that is, that's, that's the first step. That's the challenge for this morning. Maybe you've been a long time since you last picked it up and read the word of God. Can I encourage you? Take that first step. But then it's not just to pick it up and read it. God wants us to meditate on it. I don't know if you've noticed, but what you delight in tends to be what consumes your thought life. It's, it's what grabs your attention. It's what fills your daydreams. When, you, when your mind drifts off and wanders, maybe some of your minds are drifting off and wandering now. What are they focusing on? It's usually what you delight in, what you're hoping for. Because what you delight in is what consumes your thought life. It's what holds your attention. Warren Wiersbe, who's a commentator, does some wonderful Bible commentaries, says this. What you delight in is what will direct your life. What you delight in is what will direct your life. He goes on to say, so be very careful about what you enjoy. Be careful about what you enjoy because it will direct your life. And this is what the psalmist is getting at here. He is totally preoccupied with the word of God. It's just, it's, it's taking over his thought life. He delights in it. It's life shaping. It's a joy. It's a priority in his life. Day and night, he meditates on it. I don't know about you, but when you think about meditation, my, my mind immediately goes to some kind of topless Eastern mystic sitting cross-legged on a mountaintop chanting Um, you know, meditating. And so when I see this kind of word meditation, my immediate thought is, how on earth am I going to find time to do that? I think it was Nathan once asked his mum, what what does a a church leader do all all week? Because they only work one day a week. I think they get this idea that we we do sit on tops of mountains just just meditating on the word of God. (laughs) I tell you what, I'd be a lot more of an effective leader if I did actually spend more time doing that. But there we go, that's a challenge for me. But That's the first thing. How on earth am I going to find time to do that? To be honest, that's not the meditation we're talking about. You know, it's very dangerous, that sort of meditation, because what it's doing is emptying your mind. That's what Eastern meditation is all about, emptying your mind. Very, very dangerous. What biblical meditation is doing, it's filling your mind with the truth of God. Totally, totally different. Filling your mind with truth. That's biblical meditation. There's the word for meditation used in the Bible is Hagar. Everyone say Hagar. I think I've got some spit in my eye then. But anyway, what it means is to mutter, 
to murmur, yeah, to, to mutter under your breath. I, I don't know, when you think about muttering under your breath, you usually think of a negative thing, don't you? Muttering under your breath, I can't believe they did that to me. Or, I can't believe I, I've been asked to do this, mutter, mutter, mutter. Do you know what? That's, that's meditation. I think we're a lot more skilled and practiced at meditating than we think we are. It's just that we spend most of our time meditating on negative things. Wouldn't it be wonderful, actually, if we spent that energy and time meditating on the truth of God, on his word? We, we meditate all the time. It's whatever consumes your thought life, whatever you process. And there's, there's so many ways we can get this into us. You know, I, I get... Um, Bible in a Year, Nicky Gumbel's Bible in a Year, texted to my phone. It's wonderful. You get your daily reading texted to you. It's so accessible. We've got podcasts, as Joe was saying, podcasts that you can kind of put on and download. But the danger is we can simply skim read those texts, tick the box, and then get on with our day. Joe didn't really, I don't think Joe knew what I was preaching on this morning. But, but what God has been challenging him is, There's more to this than just listening to a podcast. I I want you to meditate on me. I want you to relate to me. Spend time just enjoying me. The the question is, do we actually carry what we read into our working day? Or do we just dip in and dip out? Do we carry it with us? Do we chew it over in our minds? So it's a great description of Hagar is to chew over, to mull over. I used to be a really fussy eater as a kid. It's great how our, kid, our own children, kind of history repeats itself. But Ben reminded me when he was doing exactly the same thing as what I used to do, which is to sit at the table when everyone else has left, because everyone else has finished their meal, and you're sitting there chewing this lump of meat in your mouth that just will not disappear, will not shrink in size, and just gets drier and drier and drier. And you're sitting there going, it won't go away, I don't like it, I don't want pudding. But that's, that's hagaring, chewing over this meat, refusing to swallow and move on. Trouble is, now I, I, I've kind of grown up a little bit. I tend to wolf my food down. It, it's, I'm, it's really bad, actually. I can finish a plate of food in a few seconds. Claire looks at me. She's prepared this beautiful salad, you know, with pine nuts and everything. And it's gone in 30 seconds flat. She's like, how do you do that? And it's not healthy, but what's sad is I can almost view lunch as an inconvenience, an interruption to my busy day. To get over as quickly as I can. Oh, I suppose I better eat. I've got so much to do. Wolf it down. Move on to something else. And the danger is we can approach God's word like that. I know it's food. I know I need to eat. It's a bit of an inconvenience. A bit of an interruption in my busy day. Wolf it down. Move on to something else. We need to hagar it. The thing is, I, I really love food. I really enjoy it. But to delight in your meal requires you to take time over it. The French are brilliant at that. Take time savoring it, thinking about it, enjoying it. That's the way we need to approach scripture. You know, it's, it's not fast food, this. It's a feast. The Psalms is a feast. If, if you've ever eaten at McDonald's, you know, you're hungry by the time you've left the car park again. You know, it, it might just fill a little hole. It doesn't, it's not a feast. 
It's not really a very happy meal at all, is it? I get hungry so quickly after. It doesn't really nourish me. It's not the nourishment that we need. Hagar is used elsewhere in Scripture, in Isaiah 31, to describe the way a lion growls over its prey. It actually uses that word Hagar. Have you ever heard a lion growl over its prey? Well, you're about to. Can we hear it? Can we listen to it? Is that going to work? Let's have a go. Alternatively, it could be my stomach. But that is Hagar. That is what Isaiah is talking about. A lion hagaring over its prey. It's a din. It's passionate. It is ravenous. It is licking its lips. It's having a little gnaw. Food for a lion is not an inconvenience in its otherwise busy day. Food for a lion is its lifeline. And that's why it makes so much noise when it gets it, rawr, rawr, chewing away at it. When you approach it, do you go, is it, is it, you know, this is, this is desperate. I, I'm des- that's hagaring. That's the way we approach the word of God. It's active. It's heartfelt. It's passionate. That's what we're talking about here, day and night. So really, this isn't a sermon, a preach on you must read your Bible more. You know, I'm sure we probably should. It's more about making sure what you do read actually sinks in to you and nourishes you. That's what the Psalms talking about throughout our busy day. I mean, Joshua took over from Moses. He was a busy guy, literally just taken over leadership of a nation, about to take them into the promised land. He was one busy guy. What was the first thing? It was one of the first things God says to him. It's in Joshua 1.8. Keep the book of the law, this word of God, on your lips. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate. There we go. Hagar on it day and night. It's the same command. God gives this busy leader. Not because he's got masses of time to meditate on it, but because he massively needs to. Because there's the promise that comes. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We, We need to make time about it. And we need all the help we can get because we do lead busy lives. And I don't know if you've noticed, there's this little word dotted out throughout the Psalms. Selah. Another Hebrew word. So I don't know if you've noticed it. And there's been lots of debate about what it actually means. But most people, commentators, say it's a musical term that literally means pause. Reflect. We've got it in Psalm 3 right here. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? This is David again. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Seller, pause, reflect on that. What do I think about that? Does that line up about what I believe about my God? Does that line up with my experience of him? Does that line up with the rest of scripture? God will not deliver me. Reflect on that a bit. David goes on, but you are a shield around me. O Lord, my glorious one, who lifts up my head. He changes. He goes, this is the truth. Selah, again, pause. Reflect on that truth. Don't rush on. Hang on to that thought. These are great tools to use when you're reading the Bible. Don't just rush through it and get through your chunk. 
pause, reflect, hang on that thought, think about it, process it, take note of these prompts. You're a shield around me. Allow it to shape your own experience, your own perspective. Because you know what we're doing when we do this? We're allowing the Holy Spirit to take this truth and apply it into our lives. If we rush on, we're not, we're not giving time for the Holy Spirit to, to apply these truths to our lives. You're a shield around me. What you meditate on will shape you. What you meditate on will shape you. You know, when you're reading through Scripture, ask yourself questions. It's great to ask yourself questions. A question I often ask myself is, how different would my life look if I really believed what I've just read? How different would my life look if I really believed what I've just read? Another question is, does what I have just read line up with my own experience of God? And if it doesn't, then turn it into a, a prayer of petition. You go, God, this, I believe this is your truth, but I'm not experiencing this. I'm not, it says here you are a shield around me, but at the moment I'm feeling really vulnerable and I'm feeling under attack. Lord, please be that shield around me. Turn it into a prayer of petition. You're applying the truth of God's word. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to stir up faith in you as you, as you petition God. If it is, if it does line up to your own experience, if, it, if you say, yes, you are a shield around me, I've experienced that this week. You know, when I went into that interview, I just felt totally at peace. I felt you all around me. Turn it then into a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise. Use scripture as you allow, as you allow the Holy Spirit to just apply these truths. Ask yourself questions. Don't just read it and move on. Use those Selah prompts in the spirit, just to go pause. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Bible says he will guide you in all truth. You know, it's more than just reading. It's more than just memorizing, really. I mean, memorizing scripture is a powerful tool because the Holy Spirit can bring what you've memorized, you know, and, and apply it at certain times. It's great to memorize scripture, but this is, this is more, this is, meditation is, is actually taking it deep into your soul deep into your heart. It's nourishing you. You can meditate the entire Bible and it still not affect your heart. You can, you can memorize it from beginning to end. That's what the religious leaders used to do in Jesus' day. They knew their Torah inside and out. If you turn to any page and point to anywhere on that page, they would tell you what the word was. They were experts. They had memorized it. And yet, as Jesus said, their hearts were unmoved by it. Their hearts were hardened. Meditation is something deeper. Delighting in the word of God is a partnership between you and the Holy Spirit. As you chew over this truth, as you actually make a meal of it. That's what we want to do. We want to make much of this. We want to make a meal of it. It's not fast food. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. That photo is actually a river. It's, in, it's in, um, in Iraq, actually. It's one of the uh, Euphrates tributaries. You can't see the river, but you can see the effect of the river. Trees following, taking their roots down into the water. It's giving it life. Everywhere else is barren. Where the water is, life is. What a contrast. What a contrast we see in these, this psalm with those who are preoccupied with the things of this world. 
who meditate on the wrong things. They're described as chaff. Chaff's like the husks of grain. They used to separate chaff by just lifting the grain into the air. The chaff would just blow away. The grain would fall down. Chaff has no roots. It just gets blown around by the slightest gust of wind. One direction, then the other. There is no direction. They're totally at the mercy of the circumstances. No stability, no direction. It's sadly a really accurate description of a lot of people today. Yet those who delight in God are like trees planted by streams of water. Whatever your circumstances, whatever you're facing now, you can know the nourishment and the refreshing and the strengthening and the peace of God. This underground source, it's like. I'm connected to this underground source. You know, everything externally might be kicking off. Redundancy, relationship issues, health issues. And yet, through it all, you know this sense of being rooted into God's love. That's what it's talking about here. Again, it's not pretending that everything's okay on the outside while inside you're wasting away. No, it's completely the opposite. It's what Paul describes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. You know, if you ask Paul, the Apostle Paul, if he turned up on a Sunday morning, how's your week been? He wouldn't be a everything is awesome kind of response. He would be really honest, and he was really honest here. How's your week been, Paul? Well, actually, I feel hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I've been really perplexed this week, but it's okay, I'm not in despair I've faced persecution, but I know I am not abandoned. I've actually been struck down. But look, here I am standing before you. I'm not destroyed. You know, he was, he, he was honest about his struggles. There was no pretense here. But he knew without a shadow of a doubt this inner source, this, this river of life that he was connected to that he was rooted to. He, he, he describes it as Jesus' life being revealed in his mortal body. He says, externally, we're wasting away, but internally, we are being renewed daily. That is the experience for every Christian, for every believer. That's the promise. Maybe you feel like you've been blown around a lot recently, hard-pressed on every side, as we've been singing about again this morning. Yet you can know this limitless source of grace as you tap into this river. Jesus himself described in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit of God. Rivers of living water. This is the promise for every believer. Are you going through a difficult time at the moment? Make sure you are focused on your root system. Because as we do that, we will produce fruit in season. I think it's worth pointing out that fruit is seasonal. Fruit is seasonal. And I think we can get very preoccupied over our fruit. It's very easy to compare ourselves with other people. They're being more fruitful. And sometimes, actually, they're not being more fruitful. They're just being more busy. Or they're being more successful. How do you measure fruit? We get very preoccupied. And the danger is if we, if we get overly preoccupied with the fruit, we can, we can neglect the most important thing, and that's our root system. The most important thing for us is not to neglect our root 
system. You know, sometimes God takes us through seasons of pruning. You say, I'm not bearing any fruit, I'm feeling pruned. But the truth is, that is to produce more fruit in the right season. Some of us are going through a season of winter, where you do feel battered, hard-pressed. You feel the winds and the rain are giving you a battering. But whatever season you are facing, the most important thing is to focus Not so much on the fruit, because that's, after all, God's responsibility. He will bring the growth. He will bring the fruit. Our responsibility is to make sure that our roots are connected to that river, that source of life, to Jesus, to his word, that truth. Are we connecting? Are we delighting in his word? God often uses challenges, actually, to produce more fruit in us. He will produce fruit in season. As I found out in my own garden, when you cut, uh, you can cut a tree almost to its stump and it actually comes back even bigger. I did that with a fig tree. It's enormous. I thought I killed it. Cut all its branches off. It was going through a serious season of pruning. It is now enormous. Try doing that to the root system and you get a very different story. I did that to an olive tree. Tried to move it, cut a few roots. You know, what good can they do? Died within a season. Look after your root system. So as we connect with God, as we delight in his word, our roots will will drive deep down into his love, into his grace. And so when the winds and rain do come, we stand strong. We stand secure. You know, even if we're in the desert place, we can be green. Our leaf doesn't wither. Trees, leaves wither when they're stressed. If you stress a plant, either through too much watering, too little watering, too much sun, whatever... The leaves wither quickly. It's a sign that the tree is under stress. Here, the description is of a tree whose leaves are not withered. It's not stressed. It's drawing from this inner source. Chaff has no roots. As I said, it gets tossed about one way to another. But blessed, happy, content is the one who delights in the word of God. Jesus himself described it in John 15 as abiding in him. So that's how you produce fruit. Make sure you're grafted. Make sure you're rooted into me. Delight yourself in this. If you're not a Christian this morning, you too can know this inner source of strength and peace. I don't know what you're going through, what you're facing, but you can know too this strength as you root your life in Jesus. That's that's what the Christian life's all about. It's not about rules. It's about life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. You know, the psalm doesn't say blessed is the one who dogmatically keeps the rules. It's it's, it's about the heart. Blessed is the one who delights in the word of God. It's all about the heart. And it's a serious point because the final contrast we cannot overlook. Verse 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. And the Bible says, look, we are all wicked before a holy God. We've all fallen short. And unless we put our trust in Jesus, unless we literally root our lives into Jesus, the one who died for you to make you righteous, then we will face judgment. It's something we cannot overlook. But Jesus today offers you a chance to draw from him, to root your life 
in him so that you can have real life, a fruitful life, a rooted life. I'm just going to finish by asking the question, what do you delight in? What are you delighting in this morning? What gets your attention? What fills your thoughts as you daydream? Let's decide right at the start of this series in the Psalms to truly immerse ourselves in God's word, to delight ourselves in it. Ray Ortland, I will finish with this. Ray Ortland, who's uh, an author and church leader, said this. The message of Psalm 1 is clear. If you want to worship God, shut the distractions out and pick up your Bible. Open it, read it, believe it, meditate on it, delight in it, obey it. God will show you Christ. He will refresh you and help you from now on into eternity by the power of grace. It is that simple. It is that profound.